A reading from Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through 47. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arrhythmia, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, saw where he laid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it is so good to see all of you here in the sanctuary and to those of you joining us online. What a great Sunday it is for us to be here on this Palm Sunday, as Wes mentioned, a day that begins this Holy Week leading up to Good Friday than glorious Easter Resurrection Sunday. And we can't wait to celebrate Easter with you. Our teams have been working really hard to prepare this place where you can invite friends and families to experience the real presence of God. So I want us to be thinking about that one person that we can invite for this person to see the beauty and majesty of our Lord Jesus. And wasn't it so good to see our kids' choir and our student choir come together with our adult choir for this multi-generational choir gathering? It's been two years. It's been two years since the the beginning of of the pandemic for us to come together to see these voices come together. Will you join me in thanking our choir directors and music leaders for this great occasion? Thank you. And our handbill choir as well. Well, during this season of Lent, we've been looking at the events and people surrounding Jesus' journey to the cross. And I don't know if you noticed this, but some of the names and characters that we know uh, in the New Testament especially is due to the fact that we are familiar with them because they have been associated with Jesus. Whether good or bad, names like Pontius Pilate, Herod, Lazarus, Mary Magdalene, Peter, James, and John, and Simon of Cyrene, as we studied last Sunday. We know these names because they have been identified with Jesus, and today we're going to learn a new name because he too was involved with the life and death of Jesus, especially the burial of Jesus. And the burial of Jesus is is a big deal for, for for the Christian faith. And we know this to be true because just like right now, what we just did, we all stood up. And one of the incredible lines in our Christian doctrine of the Apostles' Creed is this line where we say together, was crucified, dead, and buried. And we have to insert that word buried because without burial, there is no resurrection. And all uh, four records of the gospel stories record some sort of burial story of Jesus. Because the burial is a critical piece of evidence to the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, it was true that Jesus was in the tomb, but prior to that, his body was wrapped in linen cloth or spices to, to take some of the smell, the odor, and to slow the decay. And they closed the tomb with a rock. And all this is stated in the burial story. 
But, but the gospel writer seems to be more concerned about who did the burial rather than what was involved in the burial story. Because if you think about this, um, there were no funeral homes back then. In, in the first century Jewish custom, the burials were done by, by families and closest friends. But the gospel writer makes it very clear that none of the disciples were, were to be found. They're gone. They're afraid. They're scared because of what just happened to Jesus. And this sets this beautiful drama and stage of seeing a new name appear. And his name is Joseph of Arimathea. And you may ask, okay, who is this guy? Because we know of two famous Josephs in the Bible. The Old Testament Joseph, right? He is the prime minister of, of Egypt. He helped save the nation of Israel when he was uh, abandoned by his brothers. Then we have the New Testament Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, the one who was engaged to be with Mary. But there's third Joseph. He appears at the end of Jesus' life, and he plays a critical role. And in order to really understand his life and to get a clear picture of who Joseph is, we really need to find all the clues in the four gospel stories and, and narrate and weave in uh, his name. By the way, you know that uh, very popular word puzzle game called Wordle? You know what I mean? Who plays Wordle here? Raise your hands. We have a lot of Wordle fans. Yeah, you know how you have to use six different uh, pieces of clue by the, elimination of, by, the, by the process of elimination. You're trying to find a clear five-letter word that is right. That's what we're trying to do with Joseph of Arimathea. Different color codes, different storylines. Put all the pieces together to see who Joseph of Arimathea is. And we know that he plays uh, a crucial role, but we don't know too much about him. We don't know if he has ever had a conversation with Jesus. We don't know if he has interacted with any of the disciples. We, most scholars will tell you, they don't even know where this location, this place called Arimathea is. They kind of have to guess where this, this town, this neighborhood was. But what we do know about him is that he shows up. He shows up when Jesus died on the cross, and he does something very courageous. And he asked to bury the body of Jesus. And this noble act forever changed his life and your life and mine. It's because of Jesus, uh, Joseph of Arimathea we have the evidence of the resurrection. So I'm going to highlight three things that we learned about Joseph of Arimathea. And at the end, I'm going to give us not a five-letter word, but a seven-letter word that we can all apply on how to live out this, this gospel lesson we learned from today. So first, uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 43, tells us that he was a respected member of the council. But do you know what council he was part of? He was part of the Sanhedrin council, the very council that crucified Jesus. This is the council that uh, put a death sentence on Jesus. They're the ones who convicted Jesus. And, and, and Joseph was part of this very religious elite body of people. They were like the uh, Supreme, Supreme Court of Jewish nation. We've been hearing a lot about uh, Supreme Court justices lately. Uh, there were 70 uh, elders plus one high priest. And, and they, were lying, they were making decisions for, for the Jewish people. 
And just imagine the kinds of conversation that these religious leaders were having trying to indict Jesus because they knew that Jesus was innocent. So they were saying to one another, okay, how are we going to tell people, all those people who are lined up, who are lining up in the street gates of Jerusalem, waving palm branches, saying, Hosanna, 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 in the highest, blessed is he, the name of the Lord. How are we going to tell this, these people that Jesus is not who he really is and, and indict him with blasphemy? And, and the council members were saying, oh, that's easy. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay people off. We're going to find some corrupt people, give them some money, put the money in the pocket, and tell these people to accuse Jesus of saying things that is not true. That's how we're going to convict Jesus. So they had a council meeting together. And Joseph was on that council that crucified Jesus. But here's what is different about Joseph of Arimathea. The Luke's version of the story says this in Luke chapter 20, verse 51 that Joseph had not consented to their plan of action. So in other words, he did not go against, he did not go with the crowd. So he was again, he didn't go with the groupthink mentality. He knew what was right. He was not going to put an innocent man uh, to death. Because you see, Joseph, he believed Jesus to be the Messiah. He believed that Jesus was his Lord, but he's, he kept his faith to himself. He was a secret disciple, which leads us to the second point. John's gospel in John chapter 19 says this about Joseph. Being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews. So Joseph is what we call a shadow disciple. A shadow disciple is someone who is... Uh, either a little embarrassed about being identified with Jesus or they're fearful of being associated with Jesus because perhaps that his or her reputation may be tarnished because of their association. And John, the gospel writer John tells us that at first, Joseph was an admirer of Jesus. And we know that it's far safer to be an admirer than a follower of Jesus. And listen to what Danish... Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard says about the difference between an admirer and a follower. He writes, the admirer never makes any true sacrifices. He always plays it safe, though in words, phrases, songs, he is inexhaustible about how highly he prizes Christ. He renounces nothing, gives up nothing, will now reconstruct his life, and will not be what he admires. It will not let his life express what it is he supposedly admires. In other words, an admirer does not allow that someone that that person admires to, to frame or to be a model for him or her. A shadow disciple is someone who admires Jesus from a distance. Now, now I believe that at some point, all of us have been a secret disciple. Now, we, we may have some secret disciples among us here this morning. And here's what I mean by that. Obviously, uh, we're not a secret disciples because we could see one another. We, we're here on Palm Sunday, right? We're waving palm branches. We know who we are. We, we, we're proclaiming that we're followers of Jesus. But at the same time, it's very possible that some of us in certain places, like at work or at school or in social settings, 
maybe with your um, tennis friends or, or what is that game, the smaller tennis, pickleball, the pickleball groups or your, your golfing buddies. By the way, go Scotty Scheffler. Wow. He's, he's, he's going to do it, I think. Uh, right? In, in so, certain circles, uh, we tend to be a little shy about identifying ourselves as a follower of Jesus. And we tend to be a little bit more private about our faith. And people really don't know that you are uh, a Christ follower. Now, they might know you as a moral person, a good person, a generous person, someone who tells the truth. But they may not know you as, as, as a, someone who follows after Jesus. And rightly so for Joseph. Why? Because his life was on the line. He was part of the Sanhedrin council. But, but something happened to his life. Something changed on this day of Passover where Joseph goes over to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and says, can I have the body of Jesus? And this was a bold move because Joseph wanted to bury Jesus in his own personal tomb, which reveals another characteristic of Joseph, that Joseph was a wealthy man, a rich person. Verse 46 continues. It says that Joseph had a tomb that was cut out of the rock. And you'll see some pictures of first century Jewish burial sites, these tombs. Now, for most people, for most commoners, they were, when someone died, you buried them uh, in the ground in those days. But Joseph's tomb was actually cut out from a, a, a side of a hill in a cave right? And, and this burial chamber was large enough to bury your entire family. Only rich people, only wealthy people had these caves. And it, it's in this elaborate cave system that Joseph deposits the body of Jesus. So what he's doing here is he does something that the young rich ruler in the earlier chapter in Mark that we studied together could not do. Remember young rich ruler when he came to Jesus and said, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But he walked away sad because he was not willing to release his private possessions to care for the poor. But Joseph was the opposite. Joseph was, used, was, he was willing to use his properties and his possession to care for the poorest of the poor. I remember when uh, my third year in seminary, I had to do an internship with Baylor Downtown Hospital in chaplaincy work. And as an, as an intern, as a chaplain, one of the things they'd assigned us to do as, as an intern, I think this was hazing, they asked us to go down to the morgue and identify the death certificate and with a deceased body. And typically, the morgue is down in the lower, lower basement of a hospital system. I noticed occasionally that they were, there were um, bodies that could not be identified or that no one would claim. So when families and friends don't claim a body, the body becomes part of ownership of, of the state. Joseph did not want that to happen to the body of Jesus. Joseph wanted to own, he wanted to claim the body of Jesus and provide this tender care. And there was something else that Joseph did. He used his positional influence to connect with Nicodemus. Do you remember Nicodemus? In John chapter 3. Now here's another wealthy guy who shows up in the middle of night to ask Jesus a question. And he too was part of the Sanhedrin council. He's the guy who shows up and says, Jesus, 
What must I do to be born again? And it's because of that question, majority of the Christians we have, we know this very famous verse in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God still of the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus was responding to Nicodemus's question. It's so encouraging to note that between John chapter 3 and John chapter 19, Nicodemus, he founded and he followed Jesus. And to be born again simply means that you have received this radical grace of God. It's not by your achievement. It's not by your pedigree or where you were born that you know Jesus. But it's all by God's grace. And Nicodemus, because of what he experienced in Christ Jesus, now, now he's participating in the burial of Jesus. All by God's grace. And John chapter 19, verse 39 says this. That this very wealthy rich man brought aloes and myrrh, 75 pounds worth. Friends, that's very expensive. A lot of perfumes to participate in this burial ceremony. And you, and, you, know, you may be asking, well, Jay, wh- why is it important? Why is it important that you keep on mentioning how wealthy and rich these people are? Well, here's why. Think about this. Do you think that Pontius Pilate, highest-ranking person in the province of Judea, would interact with a poor person? No. I don't think so. But God raises up a, a wealthy person to interact with, with, with Pontius Pilate. And God uses a rich man at the end of the gospel to fulfill a prophecy from, from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, that a rich man would care for Jesus. So standing at the end of the gospel is a man who's made a lot of money. And he uses his position and power to show tender care for Jesus. And that's what encounter with Jesus does. Not only God transforms our hearts, but also our hands, and God releases the tight grip of, of private possessions and power and money to bless others, to bless other people. Because you see, wealthy men back then didn't engage in using spices. To, to care for the poor, care for the dead, to wrap with linen cloth of a dead body, especially on the Passover week, it would have been considered as unclean for Jewish people. But this is what grace of Jesus does, that we are willing to get involved in dirty and messy things because we have encountered the grace of Jesus. So when I read this story of Joseph of Arimathea, I see a seven-letter word that becomes very clear that we can apply in our lives. And that word is courage. Courage. You know, each of the gospel writers tend to highlight one particular trait of Arimathea. For Matthew's gospel, it was that Joseph was rich. For John, he was a secret believer. For Luke, Joseph was a righteous person. And for Mark, it was courage. It was a courageous person. Look at verse 43. It says, he took courage. It, it, it took courage to ask for the body of Jesus because Jesus had been crucified as an enemy of the state. Jesus would constantly talk about this kingdom of God, not kingdom of Roman Empire, this peaceful, hope-filled kingdom that is upside down, right side up, where the, where the, where the first becomes last and last becomes first. 
And because he talked about God's kingdom so much, he became a national security threat, and they wanted to put him to death. And, and try to imagine this conversation that Nicodemus and Joseph were, were having right before approaching Pontius Pilate, because they were just, they were going at it, and they're, 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 they're experiencing the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit at work, and they're saying, okay, okay, we got to do this. We have, we have to go ask Pontius Pilate for the body of Jesus. And they're saying, yeah, okay, let's do that. You go do it. No, 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 you go do it. Okay. And Nicodemus goes, I'll get the spices, you get the body, right? <laughs> and so they had to muster up courage in the Lord to do this. And sometimes when we as Christians, when we're about to enter into some type of battle, we, had, we, need, to, we need to muster up courage in the Lord. That simply means that we are praying up. We're asking the Holy Spirit to fill us. We are filling our minds and hearts with the word of God, courage. We need that courage. And in one move, Joseph risked everything, his wealth, his reputation, his life for the sake of Christ. And from this day forward, from this day forward, Joseph would no longer be a secret disciple. And, and I wonder if God is calling some of us here in this room to come out from the shadows and be a courageous follower of Jesus. If we're following Jesus, we are allowing Jesus to lead us. And where does Jesus lead us? Typically, to places of mess, right? He allows us to get involved in some of the hardest things in life because that's where God is at work. Jesus never calls an admirer, only followers. So how do we get this kind of holy boldness? Because we need to ask, how did, how did Joseph go from being a fan to a follower, from a secret admirer to a servant of God? And I think it's something that all of us at one point that we need to go through, that we need to experience and be confronted with the cross. Joseph had seen Jesus on the cross and knew that this was no ordinary person while they pounded the nails, and, and while they pounded the nails, Jesus forgave. While he hung in pain, Jesus prayed. And with his last breath, Jesus gave praise to God. This was a horrific injustice. And for Joseph, watching this person die, he knew that he couldn't just stand in silence. He had to do something. And I am very moved by what Joseph did. J Joseph did not just take possession of the body from the soldiers. I want you to get this. This is a very a small point, but I think it's very significant. Joseph did not just take the body from the soldiers, but he actually had to take the body down from the cross. And this was a dirty process. And after removing the blood-stained body, Joseph had to carry the limp body of Jesus. And this was a gruesome task. To, to wash and clean the body of Jesus. So he carries the body of Jesus to the tomb. And scripture tells us at the same time, he was expecting the kingdom of God. And it seems to me that if there were ever a time in human history when, when it might be difficult to trust that God's kingdom would ever come, it would be this moment. When Joseph is carrying the dead body of Jesus because death blows. 
death deals a body blow to hope. But Joseph, even in this moment, he's waiting and watching for God's kingdom. He's praying for the God's way to come through in his life. And here's what I want you to see. This, this is one last thing. Joseph, I hope you caught this. Joseph asks Pilate for Jesus' body in verse 43. And that word body in Greek is soma. And soma is a very complex word in the Greek because it means flesh, body, but it also means somebody. It means it's a person. So when Joseph asks for soma of Christ, he's asking for not an unidentified or not unclaimed body, but he's asking for Jesus. But in verse 45, when Pilate hears this, did you see how he responded? He, he, he gave potoma of Jesus. In Greek, potoma is also body, but a very different word. It means corpse or carcass. Joseph asks for Jesus. Pilate gives a carcass, right? Because for Pilate, in his framework of mind, he knows that there's no way a dead thing can come alive. But for Joseph, for Joseph, there was still hope. He's clinging on to hope. And I think what Joseph of Arimathea represents in all of us is our our desire to cling on to that last bit of hope when all the doors seem shut. And I don't know what kind of dead dreams or lifeless things that you're holding on to. Many of us had dreams deferred and denied. Some of our dreams have died. Some of us have experienced really hard things in life. A long-term battle with a loveless marriage, bouts with cancer, watching our kids suffer. From one angle, life can be seen as a series of small deaths, a series of dreams that have died. But the truth of God's kingdom is that our small dreams have to die in order for God's bigger dreams to rise. And sometimes we need to release, bury the dead things around us in order to experience God's new reality. And for Christ followers, this new reality is the resurrection of Jesus. And next week, next week we're going to come back because God is inviting us to experience this brand new reality of what God has done for us. So as we prepare ourselves for the Holy Week, we remember that God is allowing us to experience these small deaths for us to know that there is a resurrection. And will you allow the reality of the cross to give you a holy boldness, knowing that Christ suffered and died for us. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you send your son Jesus to pave the way for our lives to be set free through his death on the cross. And thank you for his small voice calling us back. And will you guide us as we go back to our homes and places of work and show us once again how to boldly follow you throughout this holy week. And when we come back, when we come back, we want to declare the majesty and the beauty of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.